Well, good morning. It is, again, great to be in the house of the Lord. What a blessing we have to, uh, to be together this morning. Um, this morning we will attempt to make a second attempt at getting through the, uh, the first 12 verses of First Peter chapter 1. Um, and I'll go ahead and tell you that I believe maybe in December we may have a third part to this. Uh, it, as I was uh, working on this sermon, it's quite lengthy, and I didn't want to hold you guys too long because I always get the admonition to not go too long. You guys get hungry, you get a little restless. I think that's kind of normal. I think that's, uh, that's our human condition. But if you have your Bibles with you this morning, let's uh, turn with me, if you will, to, again, the first chapter of uh, Peter's first epistle. So that's 1 Peter 1, and we will again read verses 1 through 12. Uh, that is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. And I remind you this morning that this indeed is the Holy Spirit-inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. And it says to us this morning, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the, sanctif- in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that you have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. May the Word of God minister to our hearts this morning. Let us pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we bow before You this morning to worship You, to adore You with all that we are. O Father, we thank You that You have brought us from death unto life. 
Oh Lord, we pray that this morning you would open our hearts, open our eyes, and open our, our deaf ears so that we might understand, so that we might see you. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us spiritual vision. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open to adore you for our salvation. May we look to you with hearts of love. We thank you, O oh Lord, that you have given us this opportunity to love you. Oh, that it is by the love that you have given us that we do so. Oh, Father, we thank you for the testing that comes in our lives, that our uh, faith might be proved to be genuine. Oh, Father, please help us as we look at this passage to understand what you would have us to learn here. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus, who has conquered death and paid this for our sins. Amen. If you were with us last month, uh, when we began looking at this passage, you might remember that we expounded primarily upon the first four verses. We focused upon the joy that would have come to these believers who were exiles from Rome. As the Apostle Peter reminds them of their being chosen of God. Peter encourages them by reminding them of their future glory. He reminds them of their true home that awaits them on the day of the Lord. He reminds them that in our closing comments last week were on the inheritance that awaits. The most precious of all of those promises were that they and us today, a royal priesthood of believers, would soon, just as the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe, inherit the Lord himself. And the same promise is that promise that is extended to us today. A promise made to all who are in Christ Jesus. The promise that we will soon and very soon enter into eternal rest in a new heavens and a new earth. The promise that the trials and tribulations of this world will soon come to an end and we will live eternally where the lion lies down with the lamb. The promise that peace will indeed be restored in a place where Death no longer has reign and where God dwells with us. At this time, our faith will indeed become sight. And we, along with these saints to whom Peter is writing this letter, will enter into our eternal joy as we live with Christ and reign with Christ forever. It is this promise that the Apostle declares to us to be our living hope. A living hope that comes to us as a gift through the gift of salvation from the great mercy of God. A living hope that comes to us through the truth of Jesus' own resurrection. A living hope that comes to us by the power of God who wills to possess unto Himself a people who will bring honor and glory to His name. This morning, if you will, I'd like to draw your attention with me to the fifth verse. Look with me there. It says, and notice that Peter teaches us that we are who are in Christ Jesus are by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We, this morning, as good Presbyterians, should immediately recognize this language as the perseverance of the saints. The truth of God's Word that encourages, that is an encouragement to all of us that 
all who are in Christ Jesus shall never be lost. What a blessed truth this must have been to Peter. The Apostle Peter, who as Jesus' disciple, had seemingly departed the faith as he denied the Lord three times just before Christ laid down his life for him on the cross. Peter, the man who had more zeal for the Lord than any hundred men combined. Peter, the man upon whose profession of faith the Lord said he would build his church. Peter, the rock who denied Christ, knows to instruct us today and to these believers in that day that by the power of God that we are, our faith is being guarded. Peter, the disciple who heard the words of Jesus, who taught him that no one could snatch him out of the Lord's hand. He now encourages the saints and us today that though we are of little faith, that God is faithful. That though we are weak, that our God is most powerful. And He is powerful to guard us through faith. A persevering faith. A genuine faith. And for just a moment, I'd like to be very personal with all of you this morning. As a young man in my college years, I struggled mightily with many temptations that came my way. There were times of great inner battle, great heartbreak, as my profession of faith didn't line up in any way. It was a time of turmoil in my actions. I recognized I, I didn't reflect the ambassador of Christ for whom I was called to be. I struggled with sin. And indeed, as the Scripture teaches us, the Spirit was willing, but my flesh was weak. I struggled with sin. It caused so much misery in me. And though I constantly confessed my sin before the Lord, I was always dealing with the inner turmoil of my personal weakness. Questioning and wondering. And many years later, by the grace of God, I read these words. They may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalence of corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of the means of their preservation may fall into grievous sin, and for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve His Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt, and scandalize others, and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. This perfectly summarized my condition in many of my younger years. I read these words and I wept. But then there was great joy because I recognized that this was telling me that it was not that God had failed me, it was simply my failing. But praise be to God, the paragraph before this reads, This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election, flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, upon the efficacy of the merit 
and intercession of Jesus Christ. The abiding of the Spirit and of the seed of God within them and the nature of the covenant of grace from all which arise also the certainty and infallibility thereof. I know this morning most of you recognize this as being the words from the 17th chapter of the Westminster of Confessions of Faith. And for me, not being raised in a Reformed church, I had never read this summarization of Scripture. And at that point, I had not spent enough time in God's Word to understand and to be assured of the fact that my salvation did not rest upon what I did. But it rested upon Christ who had conquered sin for me. In Christ who had bled and died for my sins. And His life was now mine. I share this with you this morning not to condone any sinful behavior or to give anyone false hope, but rather to encourage you to look to Christ and to know that your faith comes from Him and it is faith that is gifted to you. I feel this morning that I might be especially speaking to our younger people that are here with us, for they endure much temptation in these days. And you may find yourself in similar condition and struggling just as I did. And just want to remind you that it is not by your power. It is not by your power. But by God's power alone that you indeed will persevere. That you indeed will be saved. So if I would say, I would say to you this morning, be certain of your calling and your election. And know that it is by His power that you are guarded through faith that He gives to you. We are guarded. Our faith is guarded because it is God's faith that He has given us. And know that it is by His power. How strong is God's power to protect us? The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, the great chapter 8, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This, brothers and sisters, is the power of God to guard us through faith. Now, notice with me in verse 6 and verse 7. Peter says this, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In this you rejoice. Though it is debated, and many would read that Peter is instructing these saints to rejoice in the trials, I believe he is encouraging the believers in us today to rejoice rather in our salvation. To rejoice in the certainty of our inheritance. 
to rejoice in our personal future resurrection and to rejoice in the resurrection of Christ who is the surety of all that is promised here. That is not to say that we are not to rejoice in our trials for we know that James has rightly taught us that we are to count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds because the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. I don't know about you, but I can tell you that in my own personal life, in these days, having walked with the Lord a while, I'm more concerned when I don't see tests and trials. I'm more concerned when everything is just going just as the way I want it to go. As I might plan it, I begin to wonder, Lord, are are you working on me? Are you growing in me? And of course, that certainty is there. I know that He is, and He is indeed, but I still have learned to understand that it is by those tests and those trials. Maybe this thought resonates with you this morning. I'm sure for many of you it does. But I believe the Apostle here is calling upon us to rejoice in our salvation so that we can endure the trials, so that we can suffer the trials. On this passage, John Calvin writes, saying, Peter exhorts then, for his object was to show what fruit was to come from the hope of salvation, even spiritual fruit, by which not only the bitterness of all evil might be mitigated, but also all sorrow overcome. Calvin is saying here that we can endure all things Peter is saying here, we can endure all things provided we keep our focus upon the one to whom we belong. Keep your eyes set upon Christ. Look to your Lord. For God is the one who holds us in the grip of His hand. Peter does not diminish the truth of the bitterness of the trial here. He refers to it rather as a grievous experience. A painful experience. Notice that he also refers to it as being for some necessary. But why is it necessary? Don't we ask that question many times? Why, Lord, is this necessary? It is necessary because as this passage teaches us, it is necessary to prove the genuineness of your faith. There is no doubt that we are more certain of our faith as we endure. There is no doubt that we grow stronger and go deeper and deeper in our faith as we struggle in this life. Many of you I know are quite familiar with Charles Spurgeon's battle with depression. Much has been written of it. And of it, the preacher, the the prince of preachers as we I hear him so often referred to, remarked by saying, My spirits were sunken so low that I could weep by the hour like a child, and yet I knew not what I wept for. But Spurgeon recognized that this trial for him would not be wasted. He recognized that though it be a grievous experience, just as Peter describes here, it came by the hand of God. By the hand of a God who loved him and cared for him. Spurgeon wrote, It would be a very sharp 
and try and experience for me to think that if that I have an affliction which God never sent to me, that the bitter cup was never filled by His hand, that my trials were never measured out by Him, nor sent to me by His arrangement of their weight and their quantity. We must recognize God's love for us in the midst of our trials. And we may not be like these Christians that we read of today to whom Peter is writing. We may may not be hunted exiles or facing execution like so many of our fellow believers around the world. But we do face the trials that God deems as necessary to test the genuineness of our faith. Know this morning that those trials are the blessings of belonging to the family of God. And know that we are blessed when we share in the sufferings of Christ. For even Christ, the writer of Hebrews reminded us that even Christ was made perfect through suffering. So much for the prosperity gospel, friends. The gospel of prosperity is a false gospel. It is not truth. So what is the value of true faith? Peter addresses it here. He reminds us that it is more precious than gold. The most valuable of all commodities at that time. Most valuable today. But Peter is calling upon us again to recognize that the promise of what is above in heaven is greater than anything below here that might be on the earth. More valuable than precious and gold. Faith is more valuable. For faith is eternal while gold perishes. To possess gold is to enjoy a temporary pleasure while to have faith is to possess an eternal promise. Peter is once again restoring value to these Christians by reminding them of their great riches in Christ. Their value in Christ. To whom they belong and to what the things that are promised to them. And the same is true to us today. As aliens in this world, and we are indeed aliens in this world, Peter calls us to value our salvation more than anything that this world could offer. The riches of this world are temporary. For to be given faith to believe is to be a rich man indeed. And just as gold must be refined, so must we be refined. And what is the result of faith that is tested? The faith that is tested results in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So as he closes this verse, Peter brings us back to our purpose. Peter reminds us that God has designed our faith to bring praise and glory unto Him. God preserves our faith to bring praise and to bring honor and to bring glory to Himself. And God tests our faith to bring praise and glory and honor to Him on the day of the Lord. And for this purpose, Peter reminds us today that we were chosen. But if you read this text carefully, we recognize that Peter is not just speaking of us honoring God here. 
but rather of us being honored by God. How humbling this is, friends. How humbling to, see, to hear this. We too shall receive praise and glory and honor. And that praise and honor and glory will come from God. In Romans chapter 2, Paul teaches us that but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. This, friends, is our future, re- our future reward. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, Jesus tells us this. He says, Behold, I come soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. This, friends, is our living hope that we we have been born again to, that we shall receive praise and glory and honor from the God who loves us, from the Christ who gave his life for us. Can you imagine this? Think of this, that we shall receive praise and glory and honor for, uh, for our faith that we receive simply as a gift from God. Remember, it is not of our works, but we will be praised for it. This is just staggering to think upon. It is the richness of His mercy and the depths of His grace that while I was still a sinner, that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And it should result, (coughs) excuse me, in us, in joy. Through the tears, through the trials, through the struggle, through the pain, it should end for us in joy. We should indeed understand that we are blessed when we suffer. Because our Lord suffered. Hebrews 10 captures for us a glimpse of what true joy in the midst of persecution and trials looks like. The writer reminds his readers saying this. He says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive What is promised? That is what, remember, what we are promised. These believers joyed in the fact that their things were taken from them. They joyed in the fact that their earthly possessions were gone. They cared not a whit about their earthly possessions. They cared about their greatest possession, which was an enduring faith that they had received as a gift from a God who loved them. We today have a better possession, and we have an abiding one. 
we indeed are promised that we will inherit the Lord Himself. It is, and my question today would be, is your heart truly thankful for this, this morning? Are you truly excited for what is to come? Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, be encouraged by this this morning. Let me wrap up by saying this. I don't want you guys to get too hungry. I don't want you guys to nod off on me. Peter says this. Look with me at verse 8 and verse 9. Peter says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is Peter the disciple and the apostle who walked with Christ. He recognizes in his readers, though they have not seen Christ as he did, they still love Christ. They still believe in Christ. It must be noted that this is the same Peter to whom the Lord, after his resurrection, asked Peter, Do you love me? Peter? Do you love me? Peter? Do you love me? Our Lord allowed Peter the opportunity to replace his three denials with statements of love for his Savior. And he here points to the fruits of these believers' genuine faith. A faith that just like Peter's, they they cannot sustain on their own. But a faith that God Himself guards and sustains. As we reflect on this truth, we must recognize that Jesus never stopped loving Peter. In my sin, Jesus never stopped loving me. In your sin, Jesus never stops loving you. It is the same today that because He loved us with a genuine faith, we too will never cease to love Him. And though we have never seen Him, we love Him. Though we have never seen Him, we believe in Him. Do you ever ponder on that? Why do I love Jesus so? Why do I love Him? Why do I wish to obey what all He commands? Why am I grieved so much when I don't? The answer is exactly what Jesus has taught us, or what John has taught us in his first letter. We love Him because He first loved us. Again, we love Him. I love Him because Jesus loves me. And He this morning has loved us. He has loved me. He has loved you if you are in Christ Jesus. He has loved you with a genuine faith. And that genuine faith causes us to love our Lord though we have not seen Him. Our Lord has opened our hearts 
For our faith is not based upon our sight. We have been blessed with spiritual sight and an affection for Him though we have not seen Him. As the writer of Hebrews tells us, he says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And as we see here, because we love Him, we trust Him. No one enters into a relationship where they love someone that they don't trust them. The same is true for us today with our Lord. We love Him. We believe in Him. And therefore, we trust Him. We trust Him through the trials. We trust Him through the tests of our genuine faith. That's what it means to believe in Him. It means to love Him. And more so, to trust Him. And we rejoice with joy as Peter says here, that is inexpressible and filled with glory. In conclusion this morning, dear Christian, please know that your faith must be tested and proven so that it might be honored and crowned by God. Not that God may know your faith, but rather that you will know your faith. Let me say that again. Not that God may know your faith. He knows your faith. But rather that you may know your faith and be assured that you are indeed in Christ Jesus. And know that it be a genuine faith so that you might rejoice in so great a salvation. So that you can rejoice in the future that is promised to you and that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Let us pray. Oh, love and heavenly Father, we thank you for our great salvation. Oh, Lord, we praise you that it is not by our works, but rather it is by the work of your Son, your son who lived perfectly as the second Adam, who bled and died for all those to whom you have called unto yourself. Oh, we thank you that we are indeed in your grip and we need not worry that we be lost, for you lose none who are yours. We thank you for this truth and we praise you for it. And we pray this in the name of our Lord who has given his life for us. Amen.